Welcome to episode one with Michael and Eric, the podcast where we watch the first episode of a streaming exclusive show and talk about it. I'm Michael. And I'm Eric. And this week we watched Paul T. Goldman. On Peacock? Yeah, it was on Peacock. All right. What'd you think? I'm not sure what I thought. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody what it was about, or are you also not sure? About I'm that? not sure what it's about. <laughs> this episode <laughs> is about Paul T. Goldman, who wrote a memoir in 2012 about his experience getting scammed by his then wife. And in the process of uncovering all that, uncovering some sort of crime, crime, porn ring. I'm still not really sure what's going on there. And then this is a show about the filming of a show movie. That's a documentary on his on his experiences in which he plays himself in which he plays himself. If you're still listening to this podcast, you probably also liked the rehearsal. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's very rehearsally. I think that the rehearsal is a little more out there than this one was. Uh, I think this one falls. I don't know. I've got for a first episode. It's equally out there. Okay. It might go. It might stay. If it stays on this track, I agree. Yeah. Based on everything you described. Yeah. But I'm not certain it's going to stay on this track. Yeah. So I think there's. So I know that the guy who directed. I know the guy who directed this directed one of the Borat movies. And also. Something else in a similar vein. Fuck. I I had looked it up too and I didn't write it down. Yeah. So, there's a few possibilities on what this is. This could be just straight-up performance art, a la Borat. It could be Paul T. Goldman is a weird guy and this really happened to him. Or it could be Paul T. Goldman is not a weird guy and an actor and this is entirely scripted. That's the spectrum I'm working with right now. He actually wrote this book in 2009, however. Uh, So if this is one of those, like, that's a long fucking con, my dude. That's a 14-year con. He, in 2012, started tweeting at people, like, and tweeted at the guy that ended up directing this. By the way, the thing, the other thing he directed was Nathan For You, which is Nathan's, Nathan Fielder's show, the guy that did the rehearsal. Yeah. Started tweeting at him in 2012 he started looking into this guy and found that he was tweeting at hundreds of other people with the same thing saying, Hey, I wrote this book. I've written a screenplay. We need to make this. And he has been figuring out how to make this or something for the last 10 years. Okay. So that moves it to either performance art or this guy is weird and making this thing. With the... What's the director's name? Jason Walliner. Okay. With Jason Walliner's involvement... Oh, I don't know. He's either just in for the ride or... Him and Paul got together and he went, Hey, Paul, what's the deal here? And got in on the inside of 
Paul T. Goldman. I have a similar thought on this as I did about the rehearsal, which is if it's Paul and Jason and on this together, Paul Goldman needs to win an Oscar, an Emmy, like everything, because there is a level of social lack of awareness and heavy cringe. And Oh God, like I, that I don't think is even remotely easy to fake. And so I think it's real. Yeah. I think what Nathan from Nathan for you fakes it real well. Or does he? I don't want to get into the rehearsal again. I just, I don't think, don't get me wrong. I think 99% of the other people on the show are actors. I think some of the scenes where people are just walking away from this guy when he's talking on set of this documentary about his life or whatever, a lot of that is staged, but I don't think his, re- I don't know how in on that he is. Yeah. I was going to say with that, the actress who plays his wife. Yeah, um, and the the behind the scenes interactions with them s- feel staged to me. I don't know if Paul's staging them or if the director's staging them. There's a good chance that it's probably somewhere in between, and that there's fifty percent of this that is fully staged. The the wife stuff felt very staged. The one scene I'm thinking about in particular, where he was sitting and describing his experiences to people on set, and mid sentence people walked away from him because they just weren't interested in hearing about it anymore. That felt staged, but I still felt that in the core of my being. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not even saying I'm, my question's not staged or not. My sta- question is staged by who, like, are they fucking with Paul or is Paul like saying, Hey, maybe you should have the actress come offer me a piece of gum. And what I'm saying, as far as it being 50% is I think that some of that's I, and we may never know which, because he probably cut out the shit that came off as fake. Um, but I think that's a good chunk of this, that Paul could be in on this with him. I, I, he seems like a guy that's way too interested in fame to not be pursuing this anyway, even knowing he's the butt of the joke. He flat out says, I know I'm the butt of the joke. It's okay to laugh at me. I also laugh at me. This type of, I'm fascinated by this type of performance art where the person does not break and like nobody but that person knows what's really going on. So like the rehearsal or like this or Andy Kaufman, Andy Kaufman, uh, I recently started listening to reply all. Uh, which recently ended, but uh, our co-host Marnie recommended it to me. And there's an episode about an artist named Zardulu. And Zardulu apparently is responsible for Pizza Rat, um, like staged, uh, all like and all sorts of like things like that. And nobody knows who she is or what she looks like. She's done like a couple. She did an interview with one of the hosts, like in a mask, and they like replaced her, her voice and all this. But anybody who worked with her, and even the host on the podcast, has come out of it being like, "This person, I don't, I don't know if they're legit." Like she's making these big claims. Like I'm 
you like to the podcast host for the past two weeks you have not even known that i have influenced or impacted your life and in what ways and i have been doing it and he's coming out of it like i kind of believe her (laughs) And, and like somebody else that like worked with her like uh they interviewed him and he was like yeah i don't know her or anything i can tell you one thing i'm glad she's on our side because i believe that if she were evil she could take down the world government like that she is some sort of mastermind genius and like i'm just fascinated by that so you're you're that to me screams the type of personality that in any less technologically connected era would be a cult leader and i'm not saying there aren't cult leaders now i just think that right. they've there's different tactics you got to use there that's the type of person that would absolutely be able to talk everyone into joining a cult and killing themselves as a meteor passes over earth yeah i yeah i understood and agreed i don't think that's what paul goldman is though (laughs) okay i still don't wonder i don't i I don't even know. I don't know if our episode of the rehearsal was listenable or interesting, but I we're going to have similar. And even like five minutes into watching the show, I was like, this is going to be another rehearsal episode. Yep. I can feel it. And I, good, bad, or otherwise, I don't know. It's just going to be a lot of speculation on my part. The difference being this time, even if he's being... I, I'll say exploited, but I think that's too harsh of a word. Even if he's being like played manipulated. Yeah. yeah. In, in this way, I feel like he's going into it more well-informed. I'm not saying that the people in the rehearsal didn't end up well-informed about what they had gotten themselves into. I didn't get the sense in that show that they were going into it well-informed. Whereas this guy I fully believe, especially if this has been like building for 10 years, I fully believe he's going in informed about what's happening, even if he doesn't necessarily understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to keep watching this? Yes. That's what I guess I was leading up to is that I feel like he's I couldn't watch any more of the rehearsal. I just especially after you described what was going on, it just felt like people were being exploited in a way that I didn't feel comfortable uh, contributing to. Yeah. This. I feel that less so. And yeah. I don't think it's a huge percentage. It's not like someone turned the knob down to zero. It's like somebody turned it down from high to medium. And apparently mediums where I feel comfortable. Yeah. All right. I'll watch this. You know what? One of the differences for me is, is that everybody for Paul T. Goldman for this show, everybody seems to like each other. Like, like, they all care. They they all on some level care about Paul as a person while they're making this. It, it, it seems like uh, they're not trying to screw him over, or be mean to him uh, in, in those types of ways. And in the rehearsal, Nathan does not give two fucks about any of the people he's messing with. It is the difference between making fun of someone and, and having fun with someone. And yes, I, yes. I think th- there were enough scenes that w- were not at the very pointed expense of Paul, but there were enough scenes that were funny in their own right 
while still sort of making fun of or like having fun with Paul or whatever that I a genuinely laughed at, which I didn't I don't recall genuinely laughing at the rehearsal. I just remember thinking, what the fuck is going on? Um, but B made me think, OK, this whole thing's being done with the plan of being fun, whereas the rehearsal felt more like the the plan was just to fuck with people that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to hone in on. Yeah. Yeah. Like Paul said, like Paul's already in for being made fun of. So if if this all gets made and then the director comes like, you know, we kind of like fucked with you and manipulated with you. I wouldn't be surprised if his reaction was like, that's great. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying that like it, this show could get to a point. I So I him saying, go ahead and make fun of me. There's a thing, it's informed consent. There, there's a level of implicit informed consent with this where like, yeah, he he's signed up for this. He's signed up to be made fun of. But if it ever feels to me like he couldn't possibly have known the level he was going to get destroyed in this show, I'll be out. Right. Which it, I got very early on in the rehearsal. Like I, I was just out. So getting into like the actual events in the episode a little bit. So Paul T. Goldman is a single father in California, Florida, Florida? Washington, D.C., somewhere. Florida. Florida. Okay. He is a single father. He is very nerdy and socially awkward and to his description has no social life. Uh, So he um, does online dating uh, meets this woman and she, from what we know in this episode, fleeces him out of a bunch of money. One of the scams that she runs, or the big scam she runs is she says, hey, I need health insurance. I need you to write out a check to Blue Cross Blue Shield, but just write BCBS. And it turns out that she had set up her own company called BCBS and was cashing the checks on her behalf. Uh, and he figured this out by driving to the address that was provided to mail the checks to. I've got a lot of questions about this. Uh, my first one is, if you're the wife, why don't you just say, just give me the check? And my second big question is, if you're suspicious like that before you drive, you absolutely Google the address, right? Yes. Consider this, however... As I mentioned before, that book was written in 2009. I don't know that the events had. Oh. So I'm not saying Google Maps didn't exist. I don't think they were A, ubiquitous, or B, all that useful. I don't know if you remember Google Maps from that long ago, but I don't recall that there was a street view. Yeah, you're right. So you wouldn't have. I I think he still could have found something, but A, he doesn't strike me as internet savvy enough. I just legitimately did the, why don't they just use their cell phone? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But I get it. But that's the, that's the impulse. Like every all every step along the way, all I'm thinking is like, well, why didn't you just like why if you're at all skeptical, why don't you Google this? Why don't you do X, Y, or Z? And yeah, Google and shit like that existed even 15, 20 years ago, but nowhere near as accurately and like pervasive as they are now. Yeah, I I had the same impulse though. Like, God, you are just like stepping in it though, dude. Yeah. And in fairness, there are a number of scenes where even 
uh, like let's throw Google and, and Google Maps and all that sort of shit out the window. There's a lot of giant red flags there, Paul. Giant red flags. Yeah. But the effort to go through to just like set up your own. Uh, what did she set up? Uh, like com- a shell company? Yeah, a shell company or something. And um, do, do we know that that's what she did yet, though? I think that he said that that that's how she did it. What I guess I'm saying is that's what we know at this point in the story. Oh, we also yeah, yeah. know that this we also know that this ends in some sort of big porn like crime conspiracy. I, I didn't pick up on porn. Porn it was in it. Uh hold on. Or maybe I was just watching porn while we were watching the while I was watching this. I don't know. <laughs> you just got confused between the two screens. That's probably it. Oh man, I'm gonna feel like a real boob if that's the case. I swear that like that was it, like that that she was. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um. So yeah, this woman took advantage of him, but he's also an idiot, and he acknowledged like so many steps along the way. Th- before she even brought up the insurance thing, they were in what they both called a part-time marriage, where she was living with her 92-year-old grandmother, like taking care of her. Saturday through Monday, and then was living with him the other three days out of the week or whatever it is. Yeah. So, um. And when he eventually put his foot down about like, I need this to be a full time marriage, they split. And then she eventually comes back to him with an offer of, all right, you're going to pay me five thousand dollars a month. And, you know, listed out these other stipulations about how often they have sex, go to synagogue, like all this other sort of random shit. And that right there should have been the, the biggest, like, reddest fucking flag for him. What kind of marriage starts on, you're going to pay me $5,000 a month, that isn't some sort of mail order, bri- like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so fucked. Also, did you notice the stipulation in that, what time they scheduled their sex for? Yeah. 5 a.m.? Yeah. What? When their wake-up time wasn't until 6.30. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I just thought 5 a.m. is a weird time of the day. No, their sleep time was we go to bed at 8.30 and we wake up at 6.30. And we have sex at 5 a.m. Just set the alarm. I'm looking for his book. Um, Because I wanted to see if like in the reviews or commentary on the book, people were talking even back in 2009 about how this is fake or something like that. Because I... Again, in cursory Google searches, I can't figure out for sure if this is for real or not. But but somebody wrote a fictional sequel to the nonfiction book that they've entitled The Paul T. Goldman Chronicles, colon, Target. <laughs> Paul heads to London, Paris, and Moscow, tracking leads to Royce. I'm sure that's from the book. Uh, criminal organization join Paul as he uns- assembles an unlikely team. What the actual fuck? Uh, Paul T. Goldman Chronicles Chronicle Two: The Paris Incident. I was okay. Uh, porn wrong. Paul made the shocking discovery that his wife was part of a multi-state prostitution ring. Uh, <laughs> Led well, by her pimp Royce Rocco. That's where Royce came into it. <laughs> oh fuck. Should I order the book? Uh, no, because it'll spoil the show for you. All right. You're going to watch the show first and then read the book. Fair enough. What I really enjoyed most and laughed a lot about throughout all of this 
were the scenes where they were in the actual documentary and Paul's very poor writing came to play. Like this, they're sitting at the, uh, at the diner or whatever when they're first meeting and he's brought his son to their first date which is a weird move I think but mm-hmm. especially when she supposedly has three other kids and didn't bring them too right um, but sits down and says uh, what was his son's name Johnny I think yeah okay hey Johnny uh, or the waitress asks what do you have and he says oh he'll have a chocolate milk is that okay Johnny and Johnny says yes dad can I have a chocolate milk like it's just it's it's the it's it's not funny written out and it's not funny delivered the way I did it, but it was very funny on the show. Yeah, and, and uh, another one was uh, how are things going for you on this Jewish single site that we're on? <laughs> and part part of that that feels intentional that that's what's leading me to think that maybe paul's a little more in on it than we think that's where i think reading the book will eventually help uncover some of this because i (laughs) i just think but it's still if it's just some guy who wrote a weird novel on purpose that was weirdly worded on purpose i mean that's happened before uh there's plenty of books like that um yeah, but then to spend 14 years getting it made into a TV show, like, it's just, there's something goofy about all that. Yeah. Um, I re- This was back at the diner or whatever, but the waitress comes by and says, may I, may, may I start you off with something to drink? She rambled. I'm like... <laughs> And then it would cut. It would cut to like them talking to Paul or talking to somebody else. Be like, "Is that really how it went? Is that really what?" And Paul like, "Yeah, that's word for word what was said." Yeah, my I really enjoyed that we weren't ever seeing in the show that is being filmed sex scenes. We were always being shown the documentary of the sex scenes being shot. Yeah, there were just a lot of those sorts of things. The last scene where he's meeting with the se- the second ex-husband of this woman where the director keeps telling him to stop smiling. Yeah. <laughs> and he just can't even for a second. Like, I, there was... I, that's where I don't... If, if he's in on this... I, I, I may have changed my thoughts on this. If he's in on this, I don't think it's that he's the greatest actor of all time. I think it's that this director is the greatest director of all time. Mm. And or has one of the best editors of all time. Because I just think that there's... There was some very genuine moments of this guy when he's being told not to smile of him, like starting to be serious. But even then, like his just natural, he he always had sort of a half smile going on. And then that slowly building throughout the course of the conversation. I, I, I just don't know how you can fake that. I don't know. I think like Meryl Streep could do it. Yeah, this guy isn't fucking Meryl <laughs> Streep, though, dude. You don't discover Meryl Streep when as <laughs> a 60-year-old <laughs> Jewish two- to three-time divorcee dude from Florida. You just don't find them like that. Oh, what if it, what if this guy is Meryl Streep in a mask? Oh, dude. Episode two time. <laughs> 
It like Meryl Streep with a mask and nobody know, knew it until like the very end, and everybody's like, "That was fucking Meryl Streep." I was what? And then it turns out they weren't in on it. Nobody was in on it except for Meryl Streep. She needed a new challenge. Just like, like the only person who knows that uh, what's really going on is like Dustin Hoffman, and that's because when Meryl Streep was in Kramer versus Kramer in her very first movie in 1975, she's like, "I've got this idea for a TV show," and she's just been slow playing it ever well, since. She had to slow play it because prosthetics weren't that good back in 1975, <laughs> and it would just been really painfully obvious. She really needed to wait until the prosthetics were at a good enough level that she could fake like pull this off for an extended period of time. She's getting like the the really good roles. She's like. Doing and Sophie's Choice and stuff like that and she's like hating it she's like when can I get to do my show <laughs> and then and then it, you know in the, around 2008 or whatever it was becoming apparent prosthetics weren't like approaching at the level she thought they were going to and she's like I may die before I ever get to do this role so she decides instead she's just going to write this book <laughs> But then 2012 happens, and then there's just this boom in prosthetics. Prosthetics are nailing it. And that's why she started frantically tweeting every person she could, we need to make this show. I don't have much time left. And, like, when the show's over and this all gets revealed, somebody's going to be like, you know, by this point, you were Meryl Streep. You could have just done it if you wanted to. Like, That's not a part of the joke. <laughs> I don't think you understand. You clearly don't understand this. And then when she does die, her tombstone will simply read Paul T. Goldman. How old do you think Meryl Streep is? Old enough. That, like, you've got to be considering it. You think she... I wonder if she's 70 yet. 73. 73. Just going to pull up her filmography quick. Oh, shoot. Okay. So I guess she was in The Deer Hunter... Before Kramer versus Kramer. And she was in a Woody Allen movie. She was in a few things before Kramer versus Kramer. That's the thing to take away from this conversation, that you were wrong about Meryl Streep's first movie. Yeah. Jeez, Michael, get it together. It's like you don't ever do research for this show. Oh. <laughs> I liked the, like, I don't know how long it was, but it was too long of a Trader Joe's was that an advertisement, or was he just, like, really enthusiastic about Trader Joe's? I don't know, dude. <laughs> I just don't know. I need an answer to that question about this show. Because he just basically describes how he's picked up sandwiches and sodas for a trip or something. But it was a really long description about what Trader Joe's is, why he likes Trader Joe's, <laughs> what he bought at Trader Joe's. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he, uh, he would have had to have been tweeting from, this might uh, poke giant holes in the story so far. I just pulled up to see if I could find Paul T. Goldman on Twitter. I did. Um, he joined in July of 2021. Oh... So where were you getting like the? Tweets? He said in the show, and it says in the description for the show that he uh, was tweeting at this dude from like 2012. So maybe it wasn't tweeting. His book was legitimately published in 2009, though. I guess we'll never know. It's fiction based on nonfiction. So I think the story happened. I don't know how much of this he's in on. 
Ugh. But you're going to watch more. Yeah, I already told Kathy that we'll probably watch more this weekend. Honestly, we'll probably get high and watch it. It seems like it'd be a good time. <laughs> I don't think Shay's going to be interested in watching this, but I'll watch it. Should be a good time. Cool. Got anything else? Oh, I watched a couple episodes of what's the c- cooking? Cook at all costs. Oh yeah, I've watched all of Cook at all costs. Uh, let's talk about that briefly. Okay. Uh, I agree that it's a worse cutthroat kitchen. Yeah. Uh, this is on Netflix, by the way, if you're still listening to our podcast against all odds. Um, <laughs> Paul T. Goldman slash Cook at All Costs. Cook at All go. Costs. Um, the show's fine. I actually like some of the concepts. I think that there's maybe some tweaks that we could do when we're uh, producers of reality shows for Netflix. Yeah. The thing that pisses me off about the show, though, is how the judge and the host of the show are making fun of these idiots for spending so much money on the ingredients. Like <laughs> one of the episodes there ends up a bidding war over tomatoes and like two people needed them for their dish. And somebody ended up spending $3,500 on tomatoes. And he goes back and tells him like 3,500 on tomatoes. And they start laughing at them. Like they're fucking idiots. And right. all I'm thinking it's the, the point of, of the, the fucking show, show yeah. you asshole. <laughs> You're a fucking asshole. Yeah, I had that same thought. Ugh. Uh, I also have questions about the quality of the proteins that they put in each of the boxes. It seems like they put the they put the lowest quality protein in the wild card box. I forget what it's called. Surprise. The surprise box in the medium quality in the budget box every time. I don't know if that's true. Some of those, like, I guess quality being relative here. Like, the two I watched and the two medium quality meats that I remember were a beef heart and liver. Yeah. I don't think that those are, like, cheapo ingredients. Right. But they're also not easy ingredients to use and i think that's the point it's it's to encourage people to either wild out and and you got to go hard if you want at that nice box or you've got to start at the bare minimum if you don't yeah um this is one of those where i wouldn't be spending no money in the first round the bare minimum money i could spend don't care if i win just use the money that i'm carrying over into the second round and just dominate i would do that for the first for the very because so you the very first auction is you have to spend a minimum of twenty five hundred dollars. I think it's really duplicitous to say you have an opportunity to win twenty five thousand dollars. No, they don't. You have to spend twenty five hundred dollars on that first uh, box, and then whoever bets the most gets the highest quality box. Whoever bets the least gets the budget box, and whoever's in between. So like you're incentivized to go better bare minimum or not. I thought it was very funny in the first episode I watched that <laughs> their little like confessional, the guy was like, I want the budget box. I'm going to spend the least amount I can. And he spends $10 over the the bare minimum and somebody undercuts him by spending, you know, the smart thing, which was $1. <laughs> right. Actually, the smart thing would have been betting $2,500. Right. I yeah I don't know it was goofy are you gonna keep watching it it was perfect for what I used it for today which was I was getting an infusion today and I had limited use of whatever so it was just like something to throw on in the background oh so I'll probably keep watching it in those sorts of like eh, it'll be on in the background so you don't want me to tell you some funny things that happen no 
Well, well, yeah, we'll we'll talk about them if I get to them in a timely fashion. Yeah, I I, I doubt I'll have watched more <laughs> in the next week. There's one contestant in particular who's just wild, and uh, there's one moment in particular that's just wild. Okay, <laughs> looking forward to it. All right, want to wrap it up? Thanks for listening to the episode one podcast with Michael and Eric. <laughs> Just gonna make that really hard for you to edit out. Maybe just pause for two seconds no, and start again. <laughs> make that really hard for you to edit out, or not even try. I'll just go to an old episode if I have to, dude. Honestly, they want to just do that. You just do that. Nothing's changed. I Our could. website's still episode one podcast.com. Our Twitter's still at podcast episode one. Leave a rating or review. <coughs> Thanks, Boz D. <laughs> Good luck cutting that cough out in the middle of it. <laughs> show is a nightmare i'll just cut it out and then take you saying thanks boss d from another episode and uh, put it in there see you next i'm not gonna do that yeah i know see y'all next work. week <laughs>